May I speak in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Life is demanding. It does not matter if you are young or old or rich or poor, laid back or uptight. We all face life's demands. And the hardest part is that these demands are often not integrated. They pull us in very different directions. Demands for uh, school and work, demands of family and friends and church, demands of volunteerism, service projects for the community, demands of retiring well, demands of worrying about the past and preparing wisely for the future. They often run in different directions, and so we grow discouraged. Because the only way we know how to deal with one of these demands is to give less attention to another demand, which means that in some area of our life, we are always a failure. Thus the discouragement. Something is always getting dropped. When I go to the grocery store, just me, I often forego getting a cart or a basket. I can just carry it all, I tell myself. Well, this past week in Donnellan's, I'd picked up a frozen pizza and a fresh pint of Ben and Jerry's, but then I realized there were a few more things I needed to get. Some toothpaste and, oh, a fresh loaf of bread, some fruit for my smoothies, oranges and bananas, Oh, of course, there's some garlic right over here, too. So I gathered it all, and I stood in the line there, drawing long glances from all the cart and basket users. And my foolishness caught up to me as my hands got cold from holding the frozen goods, and my arms got weak, and out from the bottom slipped the loaf of bread. And as I went to go and grab it, I dropped the oranges, and they just started running off ahead of me. And immediately I had the thought, being the preacher that I am, ah, a metaphor. While trying to take care of our commitments at home, we find that we're falling behind at work. And as we reach to take care of that, we drop self-care. And when our backs really get pressed against the wall, the first thing to go are our spiritual disciplines. And we just watch our sanity running out ahead of us like dropped oranges. As Jesus warned, those who try to save their lives will lose them. I often enjoy as a priest hearing people tell their faith stories of how they came to believe in a God or a higher power. Often these faith stories are known as testimonies. 
These, these testimonies, you'll know, are often told in the first person. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. But when the Apostle Paul starts to tell our testimony in the second chapter of his epistle to the Ephesians, he doesn't speak in the first person. He doesn't speak in the comfortable third person or even in the first person plural. He's less pastoral than that. And he just goes for the second person. When you were dead. He doesn't say when you were lost or when you were unfulfilled or when you were victimized. When you were dead. Sin is anything that keeps us back from God. Nothing will do that quite like trying to hold our lives together. Paul says that attempt is fatal. And Paul doesn't just tell us we were dead. He doesn't just kill us. In verse 2, he actually digs the grave for us. You were following the spirit of those who were disobedient. Verse 3, you were living according to the passions of the flesh and were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. Here, notice, he moves from the second person to the first person plural. Now your problem has become our problem. We have become children of wrath. You got hurt because someone who was hurt hurt you. And that anger settles in, and after a while, you just carry this anger around, and we can't help but hurt those around us. Sin becomes contagious. We were dead. We've become like children of wrath like everyone else. We're all in this together. Then Paul pivots. Paul turns our testimony, our collective story, towards another phrase. But God. The gospel is here in these two words. But God. The gospel always turns on these two words. You were killing yourself by trying to save yourself. But God. You were hurt a long time ago, and you're still walking around with the anger of it. But God, you were dead against the wall, and your children had pushed you to the limit of your sanity. But God, you were born into a world where haves have so much, and have-nots have not a chance. But God... Out of the riches of his grace, out of the fullness of his mercy, the gospel in those two words, but God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive in Christ and seated us in the heavenly places with him. You may not have realized it. You may not have believed it for yourself, but there it is. You've been raised in Christ. You are alive in Christ. This is who you are. 
You have a chair with your name on it in the heavenly places. It's not just referring to where you go when you die. Anytime we perceive our lives as bound up in Christ, we're bringing those heavenly places down here to earth in Christ. Paul just loves that phrase, in Christ. I discovered in my studies this week that Paul, in the epistles attributed to him, uses that phrase, in Christ, 169 times. If you're wondering how a preacher spends his evenings, there you have it. It's like Paul's um, the default phrase of his speech. You are in Christ in all of your humanity, in all your scrambling, in all you're trying to hold yourself together. You are in Christ, Paul says. You are the beloved of God. That's who you really are. There's frequent well-intended advice we offer one another, which, if you haven't noticed, is quite hard to follow. Be yourself. You've probably been given that advice before or given that advice to someone you love. Maybe when you were headed into a big interview or about to give a public speech. The hard part about the advice is that we don't always know which self to be. We are full of selves, you might say. A confident self, a fun-loving self, a doubting self, a quick-tempered self, a self-loathing self. When I look within myself, often I see something of a disorganized meeting on Zoom going on. Some members need to be muted, and others need to speak up. And why is that dog barking in the background? We, as the inner facilitator, feel out of our depths. Paul says, be yourself as you are in Christ. This is a loved self, a forgiven self, a healed self. He is your inner facilitator. You don't have to be a perfect self in Christ. In him, you are the beloved of God. The great paradox, don't look at yourself. Let grace tell you who you are. In looking away from yourself, yourselves can be saved. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Achieved not through works, but a gift from God. A gift. Grace claims that life is not a challenge to be achieved, but a gift to be received. And every day we have to confront this great choice. Will you try and achieve your life? Or will you receive your life? Receive who you are in Christ. If you make achieving your life your goal, you'll make out of your life a constant complaint because you'll never achieve enough. If you make receiving your life your goal, your constant companion will be gratitude for all that Christ is doing for you and through you 
for the others around you. Grace claims. And it does not matter what you have done or left undone. It does not matter what has been done to you. It does not matter how dark and discouraging the day may seem. There's always the gospel. There's always but God.